Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly, and if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. Nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low, he also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust, he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went to his home at Ramah, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. All right, thank you, George. And it's incredible to think that uh, Hannah would have sang this song or spoke this song um, 3,000 years ago, and still we are learning and benefiting benefiting from it, uh, which does remind us that though the uh, grass withers and though the flower fades, that the word of our God remains forever. Let's uh, ask for his help now as we look at his word. Bow with me, please. Father, we come once again to you, and Lord, we do marvel at how your word has endured, Lord, that for centuries it has, Lord, been used by your Holy Spirit to bring about faith in the hearts of your people. Lord, we um, just marvel at even your, your work in times past when there was far less known about, um, Lord, the full revelation that we enjoy, that did not understand fully the promises that were given and that would be fulfilled in Christ. And yet we see, Lord, very much uh, an understanding of who you are and 
a living faith that is vibrant. And God, I pray that as we consider this song of Hannah, that you would, Lord, help us to, to have such a faith and Lord, to behold you more clearly. Lord, that we would, in a sense, uh, think less of ourselves and Lord, fix our hearts and minds upon you in a greater way. And Lord, we, we know that we are so easily uh, distracted. We are easily overwhelmed by uncertainties in this life. And so we just ask that you help us to consider these words and that you would open it up even as we sing, uh, that your spirit would open your word to us, that we would be encouraged and fed by it. Lord, those who have never uh, called upon you or who cannot say that you are the God of their salvation, we pray that even this day they might look upon Christ with faith and receive the gift of salvation. We ask this all now in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Thank you. All right, so this morning we're uh, going to move into chapter 2 here. And uh, I know this is one of those passages that it's probably tempting to, to jump into and kind of forget about the immediate context uh, of what has come before this uh, song. And, and yet, as we consider the events that we've looked at in chapter 1, it really is an incredible moment in the life of Hannah, but also for the people of God uh, living in, in this day. Now, I know my heading in my Bible has Hannah's prayer. Um, in many ways, I think it, it could be better titled as Hannah's song or even Hannah's hymn of praise. It uh, is very similar to the Psalms of praise, or we think of the song of Moses, the song of Miriam. Uh, it is as though a hymn and uh, is, is given as an act of worship unto God, even as Hannah has brought her small boy Samuel to be dedicated to the Lord. And just uh, quickly to recall the events that have taken place is that Hannah had prayed for a son being barren and she had vowed that if God would grant her her request and give her a son that he would be devoted to the Lord all the days of her life and uh, God granted the request to Hannah for a son and she told her husband in verse 22 of chapter 1 that as soon as the child is weaned I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever and we saw that they brought a generous sacrifice to the tabernacle and this is no doubt a, a very uh, intense moment for the whole family. It's really hard for us to even imagine all of the emotions that would have been going on. You know, we have a, a handful of children here that are around that three to five year old age. And uh, in such a, a wonderful time of life, they're learning and growing and developing and they're picking up new concepts and they're, they're active and building friendships. And uh, you know, even my, my three year old, uh, for the first time, had opinions on his own haircut that his mother gave him and decided he didn't like his haircut. And, you know, they, they are developing these, these attitudes. And, and it's hard for us to imagine this family bringing uh, a little boy around even at most five years old and then willingly leaving him at the tabernacle in fulfill, fulfillment of a vow, entrusting him to God to be devoted to the service of God. We, we have, I, I personally uh, would have a hard time imagining the, 
uh, emotions that must have been going on in Hannah's heart and mind. And this was her only son, as far as she knew. She may only be able to have one son. We will see that God does graciously give Hannah other children. But at this point, Samuel is her only son. And yet her response to this uh, very intense and I'm sure emotional moment is in a hymn of praise and worship to God. And so it's a, a wonderful uh, picture of a woman who fears the Lord and, and her will has, has been to, to honor God. And she is committed to fulfill the very vow that she made to God. So it's not like a song that is after a great victory in battle um, or the entering into the promised land, but it is in the midst of what might be a very mixed season for Hannah, and yet she has kept her eyes upon the Lord. And what's amazing about this song is how little Hannah actually has to say about herself or even about her son or this, this gift that God has given that her attention is fixed upon God and his faithfulness and his promises and his salvation. So this is a, it is a a hymn of praise, but there's also woven into the song a prophetic element. It has clear uh, messianic overtones. As Hannah is looking forward to, even as she says at the end, um, the king, the, the, the king and that the Lord will exalt Uh, His anointed. So there is this prophetic uh, messianic overtone to this hymn of praise as Hannah speaks in in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And this is even similar in some ways to a pattern that has already been established in the scriptures. A season of trial, a season of testing, we might say, or tribulation that is followed by the Lord's faithfulness and the Lord's deliverance and mercy. In a, in a way, we see even that pattern in Job, who goes through various testings and trials and sufferings, then to experience the deliverance of God. And, and Hannah has also gone through her trials and her times of, of no doubt doubting in the goodness of God. And now she is testifying to the faithfulness of God on her behalf, and also on behalf of the people of God. Some have compared this, this hymn here uh, even to the, old, the, the, the Lord's Prayer of the Old Testament. Um, we see similar themes and, and structures that Hannah has built into it. So the question I want to look at is, what is it about the Lord and his ways that has caused Hannah to lift up her voice in worship and praise and thanksgiving. What is it that she is seeing in God that has brought about this response of worship to him? And could be divided in, in, in different ways, but at least four causes for praise and thanksgiving. First of all, Hannah knows that God is her salvation. Secondly, she knows that God is the matchless one. He is the unique one. Thirdly, she knows that God is the just and righteous one. And fourthly, she knows that God is the conquering king and defender of his people. And uh, this this morning, I'll just try to work through the first two um, of those. And then, Lord willing, next week, we'll look at the, the final two. So first of all, Hannah is seeing in God her salvation. The Lord, she says, 
who has exalted her horn. And so Hannah is understanding that God is the God of her salvation. And this brings about in her great cause for rejoicing and thanksgiving to God. And she says, my heart exalts in the Lord. Now, for the, in, the, in the Jewish uh, mind, the heart is not just the place from which our emotions come. I think maybe in our culture, in our day, we speak of the heart, and it's more of the seat of our emotions. Um, but, but really, in biblical thought, when we see this sort of language, the heart is not only the, involving our emotions, but it is also involving all of our thought and our intellect. It is the very essence, the very center of who a person is. And so Hannah, in many ways, is expressing what Deuteronomy 6, um, God commanded the, the, the children of God, what we know they referred to as the Shema, that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And this is, a, is exactly what we see Hannah doing. She is walking in consistency with the Shema, with this call to love God with all of your being, with all of your might. And as Hannah considers the Lord as her salvation, she says, my heart exalts in the Lord. All that I am, all that I, all that I, uh, my mind and my emotions, my, my very essence is exalting in God. And she uses a, this imagery of the horn to repeat this. Now, we don't really use the, the imagery of a horn in such a way a, a lot. Um, I think we can sort of understand the picture. But again, for the Jew, the horn represents strength and power. We see this throughout the scriptures. It is a, is a picture of, of, uh, of prominence, of strength. Um, for example, in Deuteronomy 33, when Jacob blessed Joseph, in verse 16, he said, May these rest on the head of Joseph. Um, on the, um, uh, uh, he used this imagery of, a, in verse 17, the imagery of the horn. He says, A bull, a firstborn bull, he has majesty, and his horns are the horns of the wild ox. With them he shall gore the peoples, all of them, to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim. They are the thousands of Manasseh. And this picture of the horn is used as strength and power and victory. Or in the Psalm of Asaph in 75, he said, All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous, the righteous shall be lifted up. Uh, again, this, this picture of strength and salvation. Even Ezekiel used this imagery in Ezekiel 29:21. He said, On that day... Looking forward to even the promise in the new covenant, I uh, said, and th- on that day, I will cause a horn to spring up for the house of Israel, and I will open your lips among them. They will know that I am the Lord. So this, this horn of salvation uh, was, was a common theme throughout um, Israel's history. And we know even in Revelation, this picture of a horn is used to describe various kings and kingdoms. And so Hannah is saying that that now her strength has been revived in the Lord. Um, Her hope has been um, lifted up in God. It is exalted. And she stands, even she says, my mouth derides my enemies. Uh, This is uh, the, the very literal translation would be that he has made my mouth wide over my enemies. And uh, it is this picture of 
um, of, of confidence and victory over the various taunts and threats of her enemy. They are swallowed up now in adoration and praise to God. Um, like the, like a, a jeering army, and I tend to think of, uh, you know, in, in um, playing basketball or something growing up, at the start of, of the game, each team has their cheer that they do, um, you know, and, and uh, they, they do this cheer to kind of, I guess, pump themselves up for the game. And uh, it's always intimidating when the other team has the loudest cheer, and there's almost this rivalry just in the, the cheering uh, or the, the, the chant that is done. And it's almost this picture that Hannah says, though it seemed my enemies would triumph over me, now my mouth is open wide. My, my voice is lifted up to God in confidence at what he has done. Now, we might think initially that Hannah is talking about her rival, the other wife of Elkanah, Panina, um, but really this is not primarily uh, about Panina. We, we see in this hymn, you know, and I think there's no doubt Hannah's aware of the, the, the mocking and all of the teasing and, and the, the cruelty from uh, Panina, but Hannah is looking far more than just her own personal relationships and the fact that maybe this woman had caused her a lot of pain. This is Hannah looking over the, the redemptive history, the, the promises of God in the world regarding his people and their triumph over evil. And so it has this uh, prophetic scope to this comment. It's not just her in her own situation, but the people of God can really join in this hymn with her in the hope that we have as God is our salvation. There's a sense in which this is at even the cosmic level that God delivers his people from all evil and all shame so that we might lift up our voice and rejoice in the God who is our salvation. So no doubt there is a sense in which Hannah's speaking experientially. God has answered her prayer. He has given her a son and uh, he has, has been gracious to her. But in this act, Hannah is also seeing the salvation of God for his people, his covenant faithfulness, the redemption that he will bring because he is the God of their salvation. So this ought to be the experience of all who trust in the Lord, that all can, can sing with Hannah, that my, my heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth derides my enemies. I, I, don't, I don't fear the taunts of the enemy anymore because God is my salvation. And what's very interesting is the, the word that Hannah uses for salvation. As I said, I, I'm very dependent on Hebrew scholars for any help in the world of Hebrew. But uh, I do know, and you'll probably even recognize the Hebrew word that Hannah uses for salvation. It is the Hebrew word Yeshua. That Hannah says, because I rejoice in your Yeshua, your salvation. And, and this would become the very name that, that the angel would tell Mary to name the Messiah. Yeshua translates as Jesus. It means the God who saves, the God of our salvation. And this is just such, again, an incredible picture of God's gracious work. A thousand years before the coming of Christ, you have Hannah rejoicing in, in God who is her Yeshua, God who is her salvation, her Messiah, trusting in what God would do 
for her and also for her people. And she, in many ways, beheld the Messiah who was in heaven, Christ, not yet incarnate. And we see that this prayer, this song, is also picked up by Mary in Luke 1. And if you compare the two songs, you see they're actually very similar in structure. And, and while Hannah is looking to the Christ yet to come, Mary would, would sing a similar song, rejoicing in the Christ who was incarnate and who came. And we know from Luke 1 verse 31, the angel told Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And you begin to see immediately the, the connections with Hannah's song and the looking forward to the coming of Christ, God's Yeshua, God's salvation, and Hannah trusting in that by faith, the, the, the eye of faith looking to what God would do on behalf of his people. And really all good hymns make much of God's amazing grace And uh, I'm so grateful for um, even the songs that we sing. They ought to reflect something of this hymn of Hannah containing these same themes. And there's a sense in which even as we sing these truths to one another, we are proclaiming the gospel to one another. We are edifying our own souls. We are building ourselves up and building one another up as we exalt in the Lord. This is a means of our sanctification and uh, it's interesting that Paul, um, even thinking today as you know, Pentecost Sunday and, and uh, the coming of the Spirit, Paul would make a connection between hymns and songs, spiritual songs, and being filled with the Spirit. And we see this in the life of Hannah. As she is filled with the Spirit and is desiring to exalt God, she ascribes to him as her salvation. And in this wonderful hymn of praise. And perhaps in a sense, somebody might have looked at Hannah and said, well, Hannah, like, how can the birth of one little boy cause you to so confidently rejoice in God as your salvation? You know, they may have looked at Hannah's situation or the, the, the climate of Israel or even the state of the priesthood, as we will see, and said, Hannah, what are you talking about? Where is this salvation that you're so confident in? We're surrounded by enemies. Yes, God brought us out of Egypt, but the Philistines, they grow stronger by the day. Our, our leaders are corrupt and selfish. They, they use their own authority to fill their own bellies. And, and, and Hannah, even the, the, the priests are corrupt and, and they take advantage of the, the young women. Our, our nation is crumbling apart. Why are you talking about the salvation that God has worked? The critic may have asked. And perhaps we can relate. Maybe we, we look around at a world that, that seems to be increasingly dark. Maybe things in our own life have not gone how we hoped. We're tempted to conclude that maybe God's forgotten about me. Maybe God's promises are not true. Maybe all this religious stuff is just wishful thinking. As we look around, we can 
begin to feel doubts and questions. And no doubt people looking at Hannah may have wondered, why are you so confident in the salvation of God? I, I don't see a lot of change, Hannah. What are you looking at that I'm not seeing? And this is the great struggle and battle for the Christian that we must walk by faith and not by sight, that we're continually reminding ourselves that that the salvation of God is a past, present, and future reality. And so there's a sense in which we are saved, that Christ has come, our our, our redemption has been accomplished. And, And as we have been brought by faith to Christ, we are forgiven and justified. And yet there is this present ongoing work of salvation in our own uh, being made like Christ, our sanctification. But there's also a future sense in which we're looking forward to the final salvation of God by faith, this hope that we have, that we're looking to what God has promised. And so just as Hannah was not fixed upon her own circumstances exclusively, but she's able to look by faith to the promises of God, the salvation that God is bringing and will bring, she had cause for praise and for worship. And so we need to remind ourselves of the promises of God, that he is the God of our salvation, past, present, and a future salvation. That even now the seeds of the kingdom are being cast throughout the earth as the gospel goes forth. And they're bearing fruit unto God. And as, as the, even uh, Daniel would describe uh, the, the, the mountain that, that slowly grew and grew and grew until it filled the whole earth. This is the hope that we have that we must abide in. Reminding ourselves that God is the God of our salvation. So we see that Hannah was moved by this. That God is the God of her salvation. And we also then secondly see that Hannah is looking to God as the matchless one. God is the unique one. He is the one who is set apart in all the earth. And it's so important that we understand that that Hannah's faith here is, it's not, uh, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's not like Hannah is just wishfully hoping everything turns out and therefore she has kind of worked herself up through positive thinking to to get through this day. No, Hannah has filled her mind and heart with the truths of who God is, and that is what is fueling this worship and this confidence and this praise. And so she sees not only God as her salvation, but she is seeing God as the matchless one. And see what she says in verse 2 there. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And so where has Hannah learned this? This is just, this hasn't just been, you know, uh, downloaded into the the mind of Hannah in this very moment. She She has learned this. She has been taught. She has meditated on the person of God, the attributes of God. In fact, it's possible that Hannah had spent Many months, even years, considering what she would say on this day when she brings Samuel to the tabernacle. And maybe that she had worked on putting together a hymn of praise that she would present to God on the day when her son would be given. And, and so this is so important just as a, something of an aside, um, that we do live in a culture 
that, that seeks to bypass the mind. And this has very much infiltrated Christianity. That we think that, that, that thinking about theology and doctrine and, and difficult truths about God's word, well, that's just for kind of the, the, the select few that, that actually want to write books and stuff. That for the average Christian, um, you know, we just kind of need to, to let go and let God. You know, this ad- attitude, I'm just going just to wait on God to, to give me everything that I need. But we see that there is a place for thinking, for studying, for learning. Hannah had, she, she had a, a deep and rich theology of who God is. And it sustained her in this time. And in, in our culture, you know, we seem to think that um, everything can just kind of be downloaded. You know, if, if I need something, I can just find an app or I'll, you know, just download it off the internet. And, and maybe we want to, we want to, approach the Christian faith that way sometimes. That, well, God will just sort of download existentially into my mind truths that I need, uh, the, the, the doctrinal insight that I need to, to perceive rightly the world around me, to understand my own life. He's just going to give this to me instead of me studying and learning and meditating upon his word. God's work within us does not bypass the mind and doctrine, but his spirit uses the word, uses truths about who he is to sustain us and to work within us. So these are truths that we find throughout the Old Testament that Hannah is speaking of, that God is the unique one, um, that God is holy, that there are none beside him, that God is the rock upon which to stand. No doubt Hannah had learned the Shema. She had heard the songs of Moses. She knew the law of God. Like the Psalms, Hannah was a woman who meditated upon the law and upon the attributes of God. And I, and I know that it's, it's true in the one sense that we, we can't truly perceive anything rightly apart from God's spirit within us Well, you have to understand that the Spirit of God uses the means of his word. He uses the the mind. the, The Spirit of God does not bypass our minds, but actually through the mind, as we consider who God is and praying that God open our understanding, give us a love for that, give us confidence in that, that that is how God works. And so we have to also do the work of considering the scriptures of of studying uh, the, the text of God's word and meditating upon it, reading good books about who God is, maybe podcasts, the music that we sing. We're continually filling our mind with, with the beauty and perfection of God because that's the means the spirit uses to work it into our heart and soul. And Hannah has learned through the scriptures and is confident that God is holy. There is none holy like the Lord, she says, none besides him. So he is unique. He, he is set apart from all of, all of the creation. God alone is the one true God. He's not rivaled in, in any of his attributes. He is perfect in, in, in his moral purity. He is truth and light. And this sustains Hannah and produces in her worship to the one true God. And just because many in our day do not perceive these things as true of God does not make it less true. 
It's, it's us that need to have our eyes clean to have the, the, the salve of God's spirit put upon our eyes that we see rightly, we hear rightly, and that our hearts can perceive God for who he truly is. How can Hannah entrust her beloved son to serve at the tabernacle? A tabernacle we'll see that is really maintained by an elderly, obese, and negligent father, Eli, whose sons are wicked. See, Hannah has so rooted herself in the attributes of God, the holiness of God, the uniqueness of God, that that God alone is her rock, that she is entrusting her son to him. I thought about the example of water. Um, Obviously, we all need water to survive. Generally speaking, if we don't have water every three days, we die. And so that really isn't very long if you think about it. Three days without water and, and most, I think, average people would be nearing death. If that was true of anything else in our life, it would be probably, uh, you know, very shocking. Like if you didn't brush your teeth for three days, then they would fall out. You know, it would be, it would be like, that would be pretty bizarre. Or if you didn't add fuel to your car in three days, then it would be destroyed. Uh, you know, if you didn't comb your hair for three days, then it would fall out. Like if that was true of anything else in our life, uh, it would be uh, shocking. And yet God has made it so that our bodies are dependent upon water. And I need consistent water or my body will fail. And God compares himself um, and, and Jesus would pick up on this imagery as well um, to that of water, living water, which we need to be sustained by. And at a very basic level, if I'm going to drink water to sustain my body, I must be convinced to some degree that it's pure, that it's clean, that it's good for me. It's not going to poison me unless somebody is very desperate and they might settle for, you know, uh, drinking from a, a mud puddle or something or a toddler that doesn't know better and they'll drink from about anything, unfortunately. But, but when we understand the importance of water and that some water is good and some is bad, we must have a certain degree of confidence before drinking it that it's clean. It's, it's not going to do harm to my body. And even by the act of drinking, you are saying in a way that I'm confident this is clean. And so as we consider God, I think that Hannah's point here about the holiness of God, the uniqueness of God, that there is no rock like our God, in the same way, if we are not convinced on the holiness of God and the goodness of God, if we're not convinced that he is, in fact, the only sure foundation for our life, then we will not come to him confidently for nourishment and sustenance. We will turn to the false gods of the world. I mean, Hannah could have turned to the other gods who also promised fertility. They also promised prosperity. And yet Hannah knew that the Lord God is the true God, that there are none beside him, and that he alone is the rock for his people. No doubt she read where Moses said in Exodus 15:11, "Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods?" Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. 
or Moses referred to God as the rock in Deuteronomy 32.4. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. She was convinced and sure of the purity of God, the holiness of God, the uniqueness of him. And so there was no other place that her soul would go to find refuge. She knew that the false gods of the nations around her were were empty. They, They were cracked cisterns holding no water. And so I must ask you and ask myself, even in light of this, do we truly have a sense in our own soul that God is alone the rock? That he alone is the Holy One in whom we can trust and, and stand upon as the sure foundation. I mean, it's one thing to say that. It's one thing to, to sing that or to you know, hold to a confession that may affirm it or listen to teachers who affirm it. But, but really, when we are alone before the Lord, is there a sense in which you can say, God, you alone our God. And there's no other place that I can stand and I can, can base all of my tomorrows upon. Or are we tempted to, to look to the things of this world for additional hope and sustenance? Now, obviously, God knows that we need certain things, even for the, the care of our physical bodies. We need food. We need water. We need shelter. We, we need clothing. God, God is aware of these things. But, but in what are we putting our hope? In what are we standing? Is it in the retirement plan or a certain pay at work or a certain social status? Is it even in our own health? or the behavior of my kids. You see, there's so many things which we can, can put our hope in, and, and, and when those things don't go wrong, then our, our joy is taken from us. Certainly, we could look at Hannah and say, well, there's much cause that she would have had for sorrow. I mean, just the sorrow of considering to leave your precious son at this foreign place somewhat. I mean, she's familiar with the tabernacle, but still, as a mother, wanting to hold her child close. And to, to watch him grow. And yet Hannah is not fixed upon even a family or children as her hope in life. But she has fixed her hope upon the Lord. And she knows that he is the Holy One. And one of the evidences that we are also convinced that God is holy is that his holiness becomes not only our delight, but then it is worked into our daily life as we love the Lord, as we trust him, as we stand upon him as the sure foundation, then our lives begin to look more and more like him. Obviously not all at once, but there should be evidences that we trust in the Lord, just as saying this water is drinkable and clean, therefore I drink it. If we say that God is holy and pure and he is the unique one, then my life should reflect that truth in the way that I speak, in the way that I think, in the way that I use my time, in the way that I use my money. We certainly see this in the life of Hannah. These weren't just words for Hannah. She is following through with her vow. We see a a gentle and quiet spirit. And we will continue to see her continuing to, to, to serve the Lord and offer up sacrifices of praise. 
came across this statement by J.C. Ryle on the issue of holiness, and I thought it was uh, very convicting. He said, true holiness, we surely ought to remember, does not consist merely of inward sensations and impressions. It is much more than tears and sights and bodily excitement and a quickened pulse and a passionate feeling of attachment to our own favorite preachers and our own religious party and a readiness to quarrel with everyone who does not agree with us. It is something of the image of Christ which can be seen and observed by others in our private life, our habits and character and doing. And so if we truly believe that God is holy and he is the unique one, then our lives will begin to conform to him even in our most basic relationships, our marriages, the way we relate to our children, the way we relate to the coworker, the way we speak to the telemarketer on the phone even. <laughs> There's a way to be gracious even to these people who may annoy us at times. You see, the holiness of God, when we behold it, it, it changes us and, and it, it calls us to be like God by the enabling power of his spirit. And so even as we prepare to come to the Lord's table together, may we have these things in mind. God, who is our salvation. Hannah, using the very name of Christ, though he was yet a thousand years off, and yet yet we have the, the privilege of beholding Christ, of seeing this mystery, even as we sang this morning, come behold the wondrous mystery, this thing that was hidden from these dear saints, yet has been revealed to us that Christ is the fulfillment. He is the salvation of God who would give his very life for our uh, forgiveness and our hope, our eternal life. So may we pray even as Paul prayed in Ephesians 1. We'll close with this. Paul in Ephesians 1. May this be our prayer as we consider these things. He said, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the full knowledge of him, so that you, the eyes of your heart, having been enlightened, will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his might, of his strength, which he worked in Christ by raising him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Let's close with prayer and then we will uh, prepare to take the Lord's table together. Bow with me, please. Father, we thank you for your word once again. And God, I do pray that you would work these truths into us, Lord. I pray that you would keep us from being uh, a people who maybe growing in uh, just our, even our intellectual understanding of who you are, Lord, but, but not being transformed by it. We pray that these precious truths, Lord, would uh, change us by the working of your spirit and that we would have the, the same hope and confidence of Hannah, though we also live in a dark time 
where we may struggle to see a lot of uh, optimism for the days ahead. But Lord, we know that you are the God of our salvation and that you are, in fact, working even now throughout the world Lord, through the gospel, calling men and women, boys and girls to repent and bringing them into eternal life. God, I pray that you would help us to meditate upon your holiness, Lord, that there are none beside you and that we would, we would confess our, our tendency to, to put things in our life at a similar priority level or a certain amount of confidence and hope as we ought to put you. So help us to, to be honest um, before you, Lord, and to uh, just in, continually trust upon your goodness and faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that you bless the table as we partake. We thank you for the body broken and the blood shed for Christ's willingness to come as our Messiah and our perfect sacrifice. And I ask this all now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon preached at Redeeming Grace Bible Church. If you'd like to find out more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church or find other sermons and resources, please visit us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca. We pray that the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.